your boss is, is not spending their day watching what you're doing. So if you don't share it with them, they won't know. And you're just going to get very, very frustrated and see other people getting the job or the promotion that you think you deserve if you don't do it. Hello and welcome to the Virtually Confident podcast with me, Esther Stanhope, the impact guru, former BBC producer who's helped Hollywood stars, politicians and world leaders all over the world to be brilliant on air at the BBC. And I have invited some amazing guests on this series because this is all about confidence. It's about virtually speaking. It's about being more visible. And today's guest she is unbelievable. She wrote the book, Why Men Win at Work. Why do they win at work? Now, this isn't an anti-men book. This is a fantastic book about why there are so few women in very, very senior roles all over the world. In fact, there are less than 10% of women take up the, the senior roles um, in the world. She, it's full of statistics. Um, but, but Jill, who used to work at Procter & Gamble herself, has got loads of fantastic insights, the umbrella theory. She's got the confidence core, the apple theory. She's got the perfectionist theory. And she is going to share with me some of her tips on how you can be more confident. Do not wait to be confident. It's okay to feel a little bit unconfident, but this podcast is going to take you on a journey so you can take on the world. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome my guest today, Jill Witty Collins. I really am. I'm just really, you know what? I just used to live in blissful oblivion of how tired I looked or how grumpy I looked. or And now I have to face it every day. Well, that's a good place to start. Let's start in this strange virtual world that we found ourselves in. We are now, you're in Switzerland, I'm in London. I've got a I'm semi-pro mic <laughs> and you're now on a phone because we can't get the link to work. But you know what? It's it's amazing how we are connecting virtually. But how are you finding it generally? I mean, it's, it is what it is, isn't it? I really miss, I think I'm not alone in just really missing the interaction. I've obviously had to do a huge amount of events, speaker events, via Zoom, etc. And I really miss having had the chance to do them in real life I miss the energy that you get from just being in the same room as people and the questions and the interactions but you know making the best of it like everybody else we just have to don't we We just have to get on with it I have to say that I cannot wait I just cannot wait to get back to a world where we actually interact as human beings again. That's going to be amazing. Well, I'm going to say this, um, so it's publicly witnessed. We are going to meet up when you're next in London <laughs> and have a cocktail. I am looking forward to that cocktail already. I know exactly what I'm having. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> I just want to sit with a cocktail with a little olive in it um, and just have a lovely conversation that's relaxed and you're not wondering, can I can't see them? Do I have to look at my own face? Okay, let, let's just talk about a couple of our highs and lows of the virtual world then, Jill. So we were just talking earlier about looking at our own face. I've turned my camera off now. But what is that? I can't stand looking at myself anymore. <laughs> How about you? 
It's awful, isn't it? You know, I saw some data that there's been a massive increase in surgery and, you know, all the facial interventions wow. in the last year because of, of women who've had to look at themselves and have thought, oh my goodness, I need to sort that out. I thought that was very interesting. That's very interesting. I love that. I love that. You're, I love the way that you love your stats, which we're going to dive into in a, in a moment. I do love a stat. So you, you've written your book. Well, I know I've got very little time with you and I'm absolutely honoured that, that you could join me for this podcast because I have been, of every page I've been writing notes. And in fact, I'm actually going to go back and put little references and I'm just using a biro now. I'm not going to be able to share your book with anyone else, I'm afraid. I'm going to buy it though and send it to people because um, your book, Why Men Win at Work, it's, all, it's for men and for women. But what I love about this book it partly, apart from the fact that it's purple, the International Women's Day colours, it's just full of statistics and 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 you've got references everywhere. So, um, so you you like you like a stat, don't you? I call it I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I do, I do, and I think it's really important on this issue actually to just you know bring in a few of the stats up front because there are people out there who actually would say I don't really think this is an issue anymore I don't know why people still talk about gender equality as far as I can gather there are women everywhere and they don't think it's an issue firstly and I think there are obviously a lot of stats in there to say uh, excuse me it's very very clearly still an issue I mean you know let's start with the fact that 90% plus of all the leadership positions in the world, whether it's business, politics, sport, wherever, are held by men. And, you know, tons, tons, tons more data. Only 9% of heads of states are women. I mean, I, you know, I could go on all day. So firstly, I do think it's important to put that data on the table so that it's not just an emotional conversation, which it can become, because obviously it is an emotional topic. But also, I think really important to lay out the stats on why it's just so good for everybody if we can get to a gender equal world, well, an equal world in general, by the way, but I obviously focus on the gender front because, I mean, there is stacks of data, more data than you can ever look at that shows that when companies are run by men and women equally in the leadership positions, they're stronger, they're better, they perform better, they're, they're more competitive, they deliver stronger results. So I think it is really important that people understand that this isn't a, it, it isn't, I always like to say it's not charity, it's business. Let's not talk about this because we're nice people and we need to be nice to the women. You know, let's talk about it because it's really, really good for businesses and it's really good for everybody. And absolutely, it's really good for men. And so there's nothing for men to fear in this. That's what I love about this book. Yeah, this book is for women and for men. This is not a book to tell men off for going on golfing days. It's not a book to tell men <laughs> off for man interrupting or mansplaining. Right? It's just, you know, it is what it is. It, there's data there. There's also anecdotes. There's, pe there's real life 
um, people have seen it with their own eyes, including yourself. So before we talk about your career and and, and your confidence levels, because this is a virtually confident podcast about confidence levels and about women and confidence in particular, let's delve into just a couple of these these stats. One of my favourites, and I can't remember what page it's on, you might be able to remember. I'm actually going to write it down when I find it again. One of the stats is about the 60% issue um, which is highlighted, it's about, you know, the men that are more likely to take a punt. So in a meeting, for example, a man is more likely to take a punt and pipe up if he's only 60% sure. And when I speak at women women's networks all over the world, and when I ask that question to a, a room full of women, I say, how sure would you have to be in a meeting to pipe up and just say, we want to change this deal? How sure would you have to be? And, and the average answer to a room full of women is, guess what, Jill? It's about 100, isn't it? It's somewhere around 100. It's actually more than... The, the, the average answer is 110%. <laughs> it's like... And, and then we always laugh and say, well, you can't be more than 100% sure. But we talk about this 60% issue. So um, have you found that in your... I mean, your, your, you've got a glowing career. You worked at Procter & Gamble and you've been in boardrooms and you worked your way up to a very, very senior position. Um, you know how did you, how do you find that? I mean, is that something that you saw play out regularly? Absolutely, yeah. And I, you know, I think the data that this comes from originally actually was the research about women applying for jobs versus men applying for jobs. And there's quite solid data that said that the men were comfortable if they fulfilled about sixty percent of the criteria for the job, and for women it really did have to be close to hundred percent. And I think you do see that play out generally. And obviously, it's a generalization. You always have to generalize when you talk about men versus women. But but it is generally true that men don't need to be so sure to speak up and to put themselves forward. And I actually think this is one thing that men have got right. And I talk a lot about this in the book. I think there are some things that men are quite savvy about and women can maybe learn a little bit from. Because the reality is that 100% doesn't exist, right? And perfection doesn't exist. And I think there are far too many of us out there and far too many women who are waiting to feel 100%, waiting to feel certain, waiting to feel perfect before they speak, before they put themselves forward, before they try something. And the problem with that is perfect doesn't exist. So, you know, these women, we're going to wait a very, very long world. We're going to wait forever, basically. And we're just going to miss out on saying things we should say and doing things we should do if we wait to be perfect. So I think men have got to run Did you feel that you did that when you were working at Procter & Gamble and as you were as you were working up the, the career ladder? And I know that you're not critical of your own place of work at all. This book isn't about being critical. This is about observing what's going on in the world. But did you did you... Are you a reformed perfectionist? Because one of my guests the other, on the other episode, um, um, Georgie Dickens, who's an Uber coach, worked in um, financial services. She said, "I'm a recovering perfectionist." <laughs> do you think you were? A, do you think you're a recovering perfectionist? Because I, I think I'm still, I'm definitely not perfect. And one of my, my, my personal brand is, you know, you know, my personal brand is almost, you know, eighty percent perfection, eighty percent perfect. But do you feel that you have tried to be perfect in the past? 
you know, I absolutely love that uh, recovering perfectionist phrase. That's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I talk a lot about perfectionist syndrome and I do think it's a syndrome. And one of the things that frustrates me actually is is I still do see people talking about perfectionist and I'm a perfectionist as if it's a positive and as if it's something to be proud of. And I absolutely think it's not. I absolutely do think it's a syndrome and something we all need to recover and rehabilitate from. Do you know that for me personally, I have had, you know, many, many things that, you know, I can I can call out as my flaws. I don't think I do have perfectionist syndrome. I am actually somebody I'll have a go. I will have a go, even though I might buy absolutely have no right to really I remember when I told my friends I was writing a book because obviously I left my company and I vowed that I was going to write this book that was going to be the first thing I would do I was telling my friends that I'm writing a book and then you know I'm going to try and find a publisher and and, you know my friends would say to me you can't do that you can't just write a book and you know people write people spend years writing books and trying to and I said, well, I'm going to, and I'm going to try. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I am somebody who will say, do you know what? I think I've got something to say. I think I've got something to share. I think I've got something that women will find helpful, men will find helpful. So I'm going to do it. And, and I think that's, I do think that's a good thing. And I would really encourage everyone to say that. Lose the perfectionist syndrome if you have it. Lose it because it's just holding you back from doing things that you should do. If I had perfectionist syndrome, I would never have written this book because I just would have let everybody put me off because I, you know, of course, I wasn't perfect and it isn't perfect. And I'm really, really glad that I did it. Well, that is, um, um, thank, well done. Thank you very much for writing it. And I only recently wrote my book and it, it won the highly acclaimed Short Business Book of the Year Award 2020 because it hasn't got that many words and it's got lots of pictures. <laughs> But quite a lot of my very high profile clients in banks actually had a look at it and flicked through it and said, it hasn't got many words. I'm definitely going to read it. And what they found was that my book, you know, is the opposite to your book in a way that my book isn't full of stats. It's more stories and, and graphics and, and stories of people, tales of woe and tales of glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. But I think I, feel, I felt exactly like you. My attitude is, I've, I've always had the attitude I'll try anything once, <laughs> which isn't all, it's not always a good policy. <laughs> exactly. I love the sound of your picture book. I absolutely love the sound. I'm worried we're going to be putting everyone off with all my stats because one of the things I do, I do want to say was, yes, of course, the, you know, I, I, I established the issue with some stats, but what was really important to me was to get into the why. I think there's a lot of talk about the stats. What I think is really interesting is why does it happen? You know, why? If, if we work on the assumption, which I do, that most men don't wake up in the morning and think, how can I build the patriarchy today and destroy as many women's careers as possible? I really don't believe most men do that. Why does this happen? You know, this, everyone's got good intentions. Everyone is, you know, has this high on their agenda. And yet still we end up with this, you know, virtually no women at the top. So for me, it was actually what was really interesting was the psychology and going beneath the surface, all the invisible stuff, all the subconscious stuff. Because I think that you have to understand why something happens before you can really fix it. Absolutely. And and you do. And that's what I love about the book is that you do um, set out an argument. And I love some of some of the headings, some of the some of the chapters, for example, um, 
give good meeting. <laughs> do you, there's one something about giving good meeting. So, for example, for example, why does it happen? Well, there's lots and lots. Of, I mean, you you present lots of reasons. Are women supporting each other? Quite often, not. Are we? Why aren't we as good at meetings as men sometimes? And you do explain that I am going to generalise here for a moment. But what you've note, this is something that you have experienced yourself you've seen it with your eyes and I, I I've spoken to thousands of women all over the world from different sectors particularly in the banking um, and the professional services sectors um, so I'll give you I'll give you one example and then I'd love your opinion on this is I want to hear your top reasons your top three reasons why so one one of them is is I was working at a professional services firm we're launching this special women stepping into leadership roles um program and I was doing a master class there's about 100 women in the room and the, the head of talent comes in and does a speech and she says women don't need to be fixed you know, women, there's nothing wrong with us, you know. And she was saying it's all about the culture, which she's right. Of course, she's right. It's about the culture, you know, because it's a diverse place to work. Women aren't going on these golf days. And I think that's what she was kind of alluding to. Anyway, she was like, you know, that you you have you are just as capable you're just as competent you know women we've got to stop telling women that they're not confident. Anyway, <laughs> so she leaves the room and then I come on and I say, Yes, I, I great. Thank you. You know that was great. We'll we'll call her um, Eva for now. So that thank you. That was, Eva was fantastic. You know, but I will ask you. I mean, I mean, everyone was like checking. Has she left the room? Has she left the room? I said. So who feels that that they do lack a little bit of confidence? And literally the whole room, everyone put their hand up, and they were like, "Are you sure she's gone?" <laughs> Can we just talk about our confidence, please? Can you just tell us? Can you help us? We don't feel confident. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny because, you know, I yes, it's not. There's nothing wrong with women. They don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong. And yet, every a hundred women in the room, a hundred percent of the people there, all decided that that actually they really, really wanted to talk about that. I mean, you're both right, right? I mean, it, absolutely, there are so many things that need to get fixed in the workplace and in the culture to make it a place where women can be comfortable, be confident, be relaxed, and therefore perform, and therefore be perceived to be performed. So, but be performing. So that's so true. But yeah, I mean, confidence, it so often comes back to confidence. These conversations so often come back to it. And I think it's, it's because of the reality that we love confidence, right? We all love confidence in people. We love confident people. If somebody is projecting confidence in themselves, then we're confident in them. And so we give them projects and we give them work and we trust them. And so confidence is a human truth, but confidence is important. And so if women are sitting there saying, but I don't feel very confident or I don't feel very confident at the moment, then that is an issue because confidence that is valued. And, you know, the, the truth is that generally, again, generally, for so many reasons that start in childhood, women are generally less confident than men. So this is a problem. We value confidence. Women are less confident than men. They're not less competent, though. So we end up missing their confidence because they're not projecting their confidence. So I do think it's perfectly legitimate for women to say, uh, excuse me, I do need some help with my confidence, please. And for those of us who believe that we can help with that, to help with it. And, you know, one of my fundamental beliefs, I have many, one of them, though, is that everybody in their core does have confidence. 
and I always think about it like an apple, you know, it might be bruised on the outside and soft and a bit battered, but it's got this confident core. And I think with women, it's really a case of us finding it. It is there. I really believe that. There are things that I believe deep down we know that we're good at. We know that they are superpowers. We know we can take on pretty much anyone in the world at those things. And for each of us, that will be a unique combination. I love strength finder as a tool to find that. And I believe that everybody can find it with some help. And there are some key moments in our lives when we really do need help with that. Absolutely. So I know that we've got we've we've got a um we've got little time and so much great juicy content. So I, I'm just going to go straight for the for the for the tips um question. So I know this is a very big question about how do you find confidence, but how have you found your confidence, Jill? And what would be your big general tips for women and for men to help women find their confidence? How, first of all, have you found your confidence? I think the big thing for me was the realization that the culture you're in has a huge impact on your confidence. I'm going to go as far as to say that if you're in a dominant culture and you're not part of that culture, it is actually impossible for you to feel truly comfortable there, truly relaxed there, truly confident there. And that's a problem because then you don't really perform and you also conform to the trap of fitting in and all of those other things. So I think for me personally, it was that realization that, you know, having tried really hard to change a culture when I was, you know, basically a woman in a male dominant culture and realizing that you can't actually, the only people who can change a male dominant culture are the men who run the culture. They have to choose to change it and they have to choose to not want it to be a male dominant culture anymore. It took me too long to realize that. I, I, I tried too hard for a long time. And I, I think my big realization is that sometimes you have to walk away. That sometimes you have to say, you know what, I, I cannot keep giving time and energy to this culture. I need to take myself somewhere else and find a culture or an environment that works for me and that I can get back to myself, get back to being who I am, doing what I do, leveraging my strengths. And that's what I really encourage women to do. I said, don't waste too much time trying to change the culture you're in. Go find yourself another one. And you know, many, many women actually come to the conclusion that they can't find that culture in an existing company. And that's why I think so many women now you see setting up on their own being entrepreneurial and saying, you know what, I'm going to take my, my brilliance and my talents and I'm going to use it for my own company. And I think that's a great loss to all the companies out there, but good for these women. I know. And how confident do you feel now with your book and all the all the publicity and the, the likes and shares and um, reviews that you've been getting? How, how does that make you feel now? Do you know, it does. It, of course it does. It does help with your confidence. When you do something like write a book, you know, you know, you write it in your room and obviously you, and you rewrite it and you edit it. And obviously you think it's good, but you really have no idea. So it does build your confidence when a publisher likes it and they publish it. And and then obviously, you know, one of the most wonderful and most rewarding things every day for me is the messages that I get from people, women and men, who'll say, I have understood this for the first time properly or I, or I feel so much better knowing that other people also feel like this and I have done this differently today because of that. I've had people telling me, women telling me they've gone for a COO position that 
they never would have dared to go to, uh, for before. I've had men telling me that they're doing different things in their meetings. So that is incredibly rewarding. Just that it's that sense of community, isn't it? Just that sense of, yes, this isn't me and it isn't the women around me and the men around me. This is all of us. We're all impacted by this stuff wherever we are in the world, whichever company we're in. So kind of realizing that, you know, that's what all the, the likes and the shares and the comments and the messages and the people sending me photos of the book with the post-its stuck on every page. That's what it means for me is we're not alone in this. We're all going through the same thing. And if we all pull together, we can change it and we can make progress. So for me, it's not about my personal confidence, really, that's important. It's more about confidence in, I guess, everyone, confidence. But if all of these people respond in this way, then surely we can fix this mess that we are in. And I do think it's a mess. So if you're a, a woman, a professional woman, and you're, you're trying to climb up, I'm going to say all the cliches in the world, cry, climb up the greasy pole and you hit the glass ceiling or is it a sticky floor or is it sticky walls I've heard recently. If you're a woman and you want to get into a leadership position and you're really, really competent, um, what, 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 what would you suggest? Um, and what I found, Jill, because um, my, my expertise is helping people, particularly with their public speaking, um, and I was a very nervous speaker and I found that particularly it was women in senior roles that were particularly, um, you know, unlikely to put themselves in the spotlight. <laughs> and so, so I've come at it from a, from a very practical angle of people not wanting to be visible when they're absolutely brilliant. Um, and so m my advice is always just be 80% perfect. Just go for it. Try it. Go on. Go on. Take the leap. Go on. Uh, and that's my, that's my kind of main tip. What would be the best Jill Witty Collins tip that we can, can leave our listeners with? I'm going to give you two. I'm going to come back to the find your confident core first. Find, invest that time in finding your confident core, finding your strengths, your unique talents. Because once you really have got those and you believe those and you own those, then you will speak from there and you will work from there and people will feel it and you'll get that feedback and it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think that's super important. But the other big one that I always say to women is to be aware of what I call the umbrella theory. Just be savvy. I've mentored and coached so many women over my far too many years in my career. And virtually all of them have said to me, um, my work should speak for itself. I don't understand why I have to do this networking and this marketing and I have to do that speech or whatever. My work should speak for itself. And, it, and you know, men generally know that this is not true. That's the myth of meritocracy. It's just that. It's a myth. And I think about it like umbrellas. I think about it like, as far as our bosses are concerned, you know, whatever level we're at, the people above us are looking down on the tops of umbrellas. We're just under, all under umbrellas. And they don't really have any idea of what work we're doing or the quality of the work we're doing or how much more work, work we're doing, unless we take the time to open up the umbrella and invite them to see what we're doing and to share it and to get their input. And really it's just being savvy enough to know what I think most men know which is that it's not enough to do the work your work has to be visible you have to be visible you have to be known because ultimately when somebody's making a decision about 
who to give a job to or who to give a promotion to. They're going to give it to somebody whose work they've seen and to a person that they know, because it's ultimately going to be a human decision and not just a spreadsheet decision. So I think this is one of the biggest things I would say to all women. If you're not savvy about this already, get savvy and carve out the time, not just for the work, but for the networking and the self-marketing as well. Now, I know there isn't a lot of time right now. With everything that's happened in the last year, I know a lot of women, if there's one thing they don't have, it's any time even to sleep. That's a whole separate conversation. But I would say whatever you time you do have for your work, make sure at least 10% of it goes to making it visible too. Excellent. And and I've got another little tip to add to that. Just one little thing a day, one thing a day to help you become more visible, whether it's an email or a tea, a cup of coffee, virtual coffee, or you're going to speak at a networking event, one thing a day. And, And I think that you talk about habits as well, getting into the habit of marketing yourself and just making it part of your job it's not it's not just like the extra the extra thing that you have to do on top of everything it is your life it is your career so 10% that's a, that's a great statistic <laughs> i love i love the way that you can put a number on it it's just it's actually really um it's a real relief to actually be able to put numbers to some of these concepts as well because it's like it's a no brainer 10% of your time And you'll you'll do a better job. You're just going to be really frustrated if you don't. So there is a resistance to it. There is a sense of, I shouldn't have to do it. But I I think we've got to reframe that because actually be realistic. Your your boss is, is not spending their day watching what you're doing. So if you don't share it with them, they won't know. And you're just going to get very, very frustrated and see other people getting the job or the promotion that you think you deserve if you don't do it. So I think we've we've got to get more savvy, that's for sure. Thank you so much, Jill Witty Collins. We've talked about apples, the core of your your confidence core. We've talked about the umbrella theory and taking time to be more visible. We've talked about being a recovering perfectionist and the the, the perfectionist phenomenon or the perfectionist syndrome. We've covered the sixty percent issue, the eighty percent perfection issue. We've covered we've covered it all, Jill. Thank you so much for joining me, and I would love to meet you in real life at a cocktail bar very soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fantastic to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Virtually Confident podcast. This podcast has been produced and recorded by Chatterbox Voices and Alchemy Post. It's also been sponsored by the Speak Like a She-Boss Challenge. Check it out at www.estherstanhope.com.